This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 181, Exploration. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. short and sweet <laughs> i like when you give me feedback on it because it feels like for a second i'm like a voice actor and you're my voice acting director uh-huh. that was good that was good you go a little bit more vibrato would have been great but you know what we'll work on it we'll get there that's fine uh hunter will you summarize um the last i guess what maybe maybe 14 hours of your life for me just the just like think back what you started doing probably 14 hours ago um well okay so I feel bad um, because uh, last night uh, I was supposed to play a game with some folks that listen to the show. Uh, so they're going to hear me saying this because I'm about to cop to. They probably already noticed on Discord anyways. But um, we were we were supposed to wake up early and record. And this is not early that we are up right now. <laughs> uh, so what happened was last night uh, they were like, oh, we're going to start playing at like six or seven and i'm like well if we start if we start a game of ti at seven o'clock that's gonna go too late uh so i said nah that's okay i i I don't think i can do that because i'm supposed to get up early and and record with matt (laughs) and then i started playing this game that i've been meaning to play for a long time i'm sure a lot of listeners are aware of it but it's called crusader kings 3 um (laughs) ck3 as we call it um and i started playing that at well, I think I started playing that at like five o'clock in the PM, and and that makes me sad because this is a this is a story that incriminates me. So I've been playing paradox <laughs> games all my life, and uh, they don't really blow my mind anymore. But this game like blew my mind, <laughs> and I started playing it, and and then I kept playing it, and I kept playing it, and I played it some more. And I feel bad because I canceled that TI game, but then um, I, I I ended up just playing CK3 for a while, and I had that horrible experience when you're playing a game like like this, where you're like, oh, I wonder what time it is. And in my head, I was like, I think it's around 10, maybe like 11. I was like, it's, get, it's, it's starting to get kind of late. And then I checked the time on my phone, and it was four o'clock <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> So I don't know if I, if I can blame quarantine a little bit and just say that like, has time really had any meaning for a while anyways, but man, that's bad. I'm 31. I'm 31. What's funny to me is Hunter, you already aren't necessarily always the most responsive person on, uh, like on messaging, like on your phone or whatever. Like when I, when I try to text you or whatever to get a hold of you, I expect at least a little bit of a delay. Yeah. A little bit. No, Just I'm, you're, I'm not you're, hot That's, on that's it. healthy. It's healthier than what I do. You don't check your phone constantly. Good on you. Sure. But, but. We, there was a theory that last night maybe we would even record last night. See, I didn't and remember I, that. I, I didn't started messaging. I started messaging you when I got home, and I saw that you were playing CK three, and I, I saw that you weren't responding, and I said, "Oh, we've 
we've lost the man the man is gone (laughs) and you know how crazy that is like it's really crazy what you just said it doesn't sound that crazy but i'm playing a game on my computer Mm -hmm. where i have two monitors in front of me (laughs) and and discord sits on the other monitor it does and i still didn't look at it It, it was, was like a right notification, there. like a bright red blinking light on the other screen, like message, new message, new message. It's like, no, I have to know what great aunt Nazarene is doing. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, yeah, that's uh, that's what I did last night. Good. Sorry. I want to say sorry to Milty. I want to say sorry to Binks. I want to say sorry to whoever else it was I was going to play with. There was... There was a, a list of some good people. No, no good reason for you to have bailed on that game, but oh well. Turns I think, out, I think they'll understand. I think they will get it. <laughs> I just can't believe how you, you know what they did with that game. They put the they put the Sims in that game. <laughs> That's what they did. They Frankenstein moths. They 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 added the Sims into the heart and meat of of that game, and I can't believe that they were able to do that as successfully as they did. It's nuts. Uh, do we have errata for last week's episode was our fractured void review. Does it make sense to do errata for that? I'm not so sure. We well, we should. got one thing. That's we have one good. thing. I don't think we call it errata, but I think we call it a, the, a wonderful contribution to um, the story of fracture void by uh, Rolo, formerly Ledgerman Rolo. Uh, Ledger, Ledgerman Rolo says, I read fracture yeah, void. He, he's formally Ledgerman Rollo. Sure, you said sure. that he's I know. formally Ledgerman. The artist you called formerly him known Ro- as Ledgerman, comma, Rollo. <laughs> I read it aloud to my eight-year-old son in what was, in retrospect, a questionable parenting decision. I went in blind. Every night for the 30 nights, he got one chapter a night. My son is into Twilight Imperium. I think I've shared some of his adorable sketches of Hakan and Extra in the Discord from time to time. So he loved the idea of us reading this together. And off we went. Some of the funniest nights of that month involved me quickly editing certain passages on the fly as I read them. And then Azad and Severin, uh, oh, um... Played chess until they fell asleep. That Azad <laughs> sure does love chess. She keeps trying to pressure Severin into a game. And, oh, uh, Shelma moved away, and the other Hylar was just knocked out and memory wiped. And remember, I'm making all of these edits in real time as the words went from the page to my brain, then the G-rated version, okay, maybe PG version, left my mouth. My son was no doubt confused by parts of the book, but he got the broad strokes. That's funny. That's funny. I wish we had, I wish he had recorded all of that. I would love for that to be the audiobook that we get of the fractured void is the the PG rated on the fly, uh, translation. (laughs) Yeah. Him, him chess as a replacement for, uh, terrible activity, you know, (laughs) I don't know if I've heard that before, you know? Yeah. It's good. Uh, all right. Well, Hunter, we, we have an ep. we have a proper episode. We've got lots of, um, complaints recently. I'm not gonna call it complaints, critiques, have we got more complaints recently than we normally get, though? I think Like, that's so. the thing is, we, a lot Here's of times we'll say, like, oh, we've been getting re- complaints. Sure. But Prophecy of Kings came out. 
And then it seems like Space Cats, Peace Turtles stopped doing episodes about Prophecy of Kings. Now, I push back true. a little bit. That's, That's not false. true. We've done actually quite a Your lot. Your Honor. Um, Your Honor. That's not true. Deep, from a deep dive perspective, like there are people who are saying, you know, I count two, Tech and Titans. Now, I, I disagree with that analysis, but it's fine. I get it. So today, here's another deep dive. We, we, we said we really, the big thing we want to do is dig through components uh, kind of as we're doing these faction introductions as well, because... Um, the components help us inform things. And the big one that we have to do is exploration um, because it's really the only like completely new thing. Everything else we would be covering. I mean, leaders, I, I guess. I don't know if we'll do a leaders episode because those all get baked in to, to the, the faction, faction episodes. episodes. Yeah. But but this one, w this is a thing we definitely have to cover. And everything else is like like last time the tech episode was like, well, here's the things we added to tech. But we, we have to completely explore a new system, which is ex exploring. Um, oh, I want to be clear too at the at the top of this, just so people aren't disappointed later. We can't fit relics into this conversation yet. Yeah, uh, we when we typed up the outline, we're already like five pages deep into this, just trying to cover the three the four exploration decks. So uh, don't don't expect relics yet. What we what we want to do is next month or in a couple weeks or whatever it ends up being, we will do a relics and legendary planets episode we're going to kind of lump those two smaller topics into an episode together so yeah sorry save those for later I, i'll say I, i'm not even that hurt about it because honestly i would love to delay uh relics episodes anyways because as dane teased on twitter like last week or the week before um he there there's obviously a codex 2 coming out sometime we don't really know when i hope before the tournament starts i don't know if uh, i don't know if we'll hit that mark uh, but that codex is going to include at least one new relic and we can assume more new relics. So it would be great to save a relic episode for after we have more relics. I don't know if that, you know, we're, we'll stick to our guns on just trying to do an episode. I'm not going to, you know, wait forever for a codex, but there are more relics potentially on the way. So, you know, we, we have plenty of relic conversations to have going forward, but let's dig in to exploration. Let's do it. Let's explore. <laughs> um so what is exploration how how do you explorate in <laughs> this this POC game this pok yeah um so we got two types all right we've got planets and we've got uh your old frontier tokens uh planets are obviously explored when you gain control of the planet before production we want to note that the right. timing window is after you gain control but before you produce um and, you know, at the beginning of the game, everybody expands into their slice and you get one exploration on the house whenever you take the, the planet. Um, after that initial exploration of each of your planets, you can only re-explore um, planets with Scanlink, of right. course. This um, is, so this is the kind of shakeup of exploration that I think people are used to, especially I just played Eclipse this last weekend and Eclipse has like a totally different idea of what exploring is like, but it's that same vibe of like in so many 4X games, the exploration happens like right there at the beginning and then the galaxy has been explored and there's nothing left to right. do. But our exploration system has multiple methods of actually continuing exploration. You can essentially keep digging deeper into the histories and everything of your planets throughout the game, but you have to sort of invest in those abilities. So like Hunter said, there's Scanlink, uh, which we talked about in the tech episode. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And we talked actually quite a bit also in the Titans episode. So we're all well aware of ScanLink and its impact. But there are a a couple other abilities that allow you to uh, explore planets game long. The big one, um, we we haven't done an NRA, uh, a Nas Roca Alliance introduction yet. That is um, coming up. I've been working on that introduction for a couple weeks now. Uh, but the, they are basically the exploration faction, and so with them come two tools that can be shared with other factions. Uh, their agent allows them to explore a planet at the end of their turn, and their commander allows them and their ally to explore planets when they take them from other players. So that's nor- normally you only explore neutral planets that didn't have an owner. So it's just the first time a planet is taken, you get it. The commander allows you to re-explore planets as you steal them from other opponents. Yeah, which is lovely. Um, we've also got the frontier tokens that essentially sit in all of the systems that do not have planets. Um, they're just sitting out there by their lonesome. Yep. Um, and the only way to explore those, uh, well, not the only way, but uh, the main way you, you'll explore those is by researching, of course, dark energy tap, and then you move a ship into that system and then you would explore it i guess after movement sometime i guess something like that (laughs) um and and then really the only considerations there as far as extra stuff is there is an action card exploration probe that will allow you to explore a frontier token that is in or adjacent to one of your ships and then of course we have the empyrean hero which if you don't know uh essentially lets Empyrean explore a whole wave of frontier tokens based on how many ships they have in systems that do not have planets. Right. Um, uh, also, so I skipped kind of... over uh, for just planet exploration. There's also the relic called the crown of Amphidia. Oh, right. Uh, yes. And that specific relic allows you to explore too. There's a whole thing tied up with the crown of Amphidia. We'll talk about the tomb of Amphidia later, but the crown of Amphidia is essentially a relic that says you are now on a quest to find the tomb of Amphidia and we have given you an exploration tool to do so. So it's another, it's basically the same as the uh, Nasroka agent, but just as a, a relic instead. Um, yeah. So that's all of your different tools for exploring. So why are we doing any of this? Why do we care to explore? What is there to find? Um, The first thing we want to cover, we're going to get into all of the like various abilities and stuff, but I think the biggest thing that ends up coming up in a game of uh, POK is the quest for relic fragments so that you can build relics. Um, or in some cases, literally public objectives where you need to just have relic fragments. Um, the, so th- that becomes the big desire to explore game long. Round one, it's like, I just want to get as many cool perks as I can get. But any exploration you're doing game long is like kind of specifically with the intent of getting relics or points, more or less. So how do we get these relics? Um, so we have um, four different decks when it comes to exploration. Um, we have three uh, planet exploration decks, one w- of each corresponding planet Trait. type, so cultural, uh, hazardous, industrial, and then of course the frontier deck. And in all four of those decks, we have relic fragments. Um, the only way to cash in relic fragments for, uh, in order to to gain a relic, um, you have to have three fragments of the same type. Um, however, you don't always have to do that. In fact, because People always play as Nasroka Alliance. You almost <laughs> never every have single to do game it ever, the right yeah. way. Um, 
But so we so you have those three. They need to be the same corresponding type, except for the frontier deck, which has fragments that are you know kind of wild that you yeah. can just kind of throw into whatever and, and combination notably, you've got. If you don't, I'm pretty sure this rule is correct. But on the mysterious, on the frontier relic fragments, they don't have the printed ability to actually do the purge to get they a do relic. Not. So you can't use three white relic fragments to get. A relic you have to have at least one of a of a trait but then your other two can be used instead of matching trait colors but they they don't have the ability printed themselves so you do have to have at least like one hazardous and then two whites would would help would let you get a relic if you ended up exploring i know <laughs> uh, and only getting the three because there's well and we'll break down some math in just a second uh, we're gonna do math today oh that's cool um if you ended up getting only the three um, relic fragments from the frontier deck, that would be hilarious, like yeah. amazingly <laughs> bad luck. Like that's that's super crazy, <laughs> crazy bad. Um, so we talked, we 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 kind of glazed over the fact that there are some exceptions to this rule of three, and we yeah. we already sort of said um, the Nazaroka Alliance promissory note will will allow you to purge two instead of three, and then Nazaroka themselves, even without you know, they just have an ability. I forget what it's called but it just allows them to purge two uh, naturally as well. Also worth noting um, too, this will be more important in the NRA guide, but um, NRA can also just purge a single relic fragment for a command counter. So they, they have this like other use entirely that, that I don't, we, I, I think the jury is still out on like the extent to which you do one over the other, but um, that they, they are using relic fragments in even more unique ways than everybody else. Yeah. Um, and also, so when, when it comes to to these fragments, um, the way that they're spread out in the decks is really interesting because they're not spread out uh, evenly. In fact, it's actually kind of... Uh, I had never put it together just like in front of me like this. Uh, and it's actually a little staggering how much it is kind of weighted one way and not the other. Yeah. Um, so each of the three planet uh, uh, trait decks have 20 cards in them. Um, in the cultural deck, you have nine fragments. So that's 45% of the cultural deck is relic fragments. Quite a bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, almost half. That's what 45% means. I found <laughs> out. I had to consult. I asked my dad, but he said that's what it means. Um, so for the hazardous deck, we've still got 20 cards, but we have seven fragments. So that's 35%. Okay, getting a little worse, but it's still okay. Industrial deck is only five fragments, which is 25% uh, out of out of the 20 and the frontier deck this is this is a big point to what matt was saying before with the whole like what have you got only three well there's only three uh mm -hmm. in the frontier deck there's only three colorless um fragments uh however the frontier deck interestingly uh only has 14 cards in the deck um which i guess it doesn't need to have 20 because there's way less frontier tokens yeah. in any given game than there is planets um but so that would be around 22 percent of uh, the frontier deck is relic fragments. Yeah. So um, the the big thing there then is you can look at those percentages and go if like we said earlier, if you are f deliberately fishing for fragments by doing you know scanlink exploration game long, you you have a incentive to go for cultural deck over pretty much anything else. Um, cultural in then hazardous and then industrial if you're specifically trying to find those. Um, and obviously this is why we see a lot um, in different metas of like different ways to handle 
how you track all of the information because basically anything that's been pulled out of the deck is public information if it's in like a discard pile it's also public information so knowing what's left in the deck becomes really important if you are trying to hedge your bets and get that last fragment that you need and you're just kind of doing open exploration all game you it, it becomes really important to know what is left in the deck it also matters this is especially confusing in nasroka games but when relic fragments are used they are purged they're gone forever whereas when all the other cards in these decks are used they go into the discard pile and when the deck is done you reshuffle all those back in so as the deck gets reshuffled you're getting more and more abilities and if nasroka was in the game they have the ability to discard relic fragments so sometimes you have to keep track of how many relic fragments got discarded right. then get reshuffled back into the deck and know what your odds are of trying to track these things down it, it, it does become very important because sometimes if your game completely depends on getting one more relic fragment you need to know if it's impossible or not to get any more out of a specific deck so it's it is important to leave that stuff out as like public information so like when we play you lay out in tts there's like a little bag that counts it but even when you play in person it's like you leave all of the relic fragments out so that people can quickly count them and see what they're looking at so that they know the odds they're playing when they start fishing yeah there's very much an intention uh, that you would sort of count count cards when it comes to all of the uh the exploration components i feel like um because yeah, there, there are going to be time. It's interesting too that um, if you if you break down um, the way the fragments are spread out, uh, an industrial deck only has enough for one yeah. uh, relic. Like yeah, just straight that's super up, super weird. You, yeah, there, there's only there only being five cards, and it literally requires three unless you're Nazroka. If Nazroka's not in the game, you have to get a frontier relic to do a second industrial relic. Yeah. So just just keep in mind, I, th I think also it's good to keep in mind this relationship when it comes to like, what is the value of these fragments? Like, don't let somebody sell you a fragment yeah. that it's going to be super unlikely that you are going to be able to ever turn that into a relic. Right. Um, and, and yeah, if you just kind of keep track of the odds as you go, um, then, you know, just make it impossible for you to get swindled. And that's why we're here. You know, that's why <laughs> SCPT is here, because we got your back. We're, tr we're trying to tell you, hey, we counted up these fragments and things can get kind of fishy. OK, I'm, we, I'm looking at the math here and th things aren't checking out. We, well, I'm, I'm getting a little concerned here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just like the idea of us saying all this as if this is like blowing people's minds. Like sure, people are yeah. like, whoa, they're um, oh, I didn't think to count them. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think to count the cards, even though I very obviously would. This is uh, analysis. So um, before we go to the ad, I just want to cover like what we're going to look. We're, we're going to do an early in the episode ad break here. But after the break, we are going to go deck by deck and look at what else is left in these right so we, we've covered the relic fragments uh that the rest of that game is is going to be tied up in our future relic episode yes really so the rest of this episode is going to be focused on all the abilities but it's important to note within these decks what all is findable so there's these relic fragments and there's really just two other categories and that's attachments um, or in the Frontier deck, they're not really attachments so much as just like things that hit and stay on the table. So mm -hmm. a another point, though, being cards that also don't get reshuffled because an attachment card stays with other cards. And then the third type of uh, card is abilities. One time, one shot, here's a thing, and then it goes back into the discards and that will get reshuffled. So by the late game, if you've reshuffled the deck... In theory, especially if there's no Nasroka, if the deck is reshuffled, the only thing that is left in it is abilities. And so exploration, if you are looking for attachments or relics for points and stuff, 
uh, and a deck has reshuffled and Nasroka isn't in the game, you are kind of on a fruitless endeavor for any of the reshuffled decks. It becomes a, a pointless enterprise to, to go for those. Right. Um, yeah, and I am excited to get to the next section because everything we've covered thus far is very basic and we yeah. just want wanted to lay it all out for, for sure. a newcomer. But next, um, after the ad, we will get into our deep, deep analysis of each of uh, these decks uh, coming, coming right at you. Okay, we're back. Hello. Okay, it's time for real stuff. Everything else was child's play. It's time to get into the meat. Uh, the exploration deck. This is where we are going to talk about each one in detail. Let's start with the juicy one, Cultural. As we've already noted, there are nine fr uh, fragments in this deck, which means there's only 11 non-fragment cards, which means as things reshuffle or whatever, we are really, really dwindling down other stuff to get from this deck. So what are our right. 11 non-fragment cards? Well, let's start with the abilities. There's only two uh, abilities. We're going to call them abilities. What else do we call they're, they're They're the cookies. These are the cookie cards. Of, it's a, it's just a little, a little thing you get. It, if anything, it feels like you want relic fragments. You want attachments. And when you draw one of these cards, you didn't get either of those things. But like... Here's a consolation prize. Right. Yeah. You draw a card, get a cookie. That's that's how these work. <laughs> uh, so of the two abilities that are available, there are three cards of each. So six of our 11 remaining cards are split up between these two abilities. One, Freelancers, which is where you, once you uh, invade the planet, you can immediately produce one unit in the system, but you may spend influence as if it were resources to produce the unit. Uh, the influence note is a may, not a must. So you can spend resources, you can spend trade goods, you can do whatever. But this one is especially useful, I think, personally, round one, um, especially for factions who end up with like a one-two planet. A lot, a lot of factions have like a one-two planet in their home system, right? And, right? and the idea that I could build something forward and get more money out of my round is... Very, very enticing. And for me specifically, what I've been doing a lot recently now, I've been I've been practicing a lot of Nasroka, but I think this holds true generally. Those one, two planets, that equals a mech. I can take a right. forward cultural planet and immediately plop a mech down. And I, I have that planet significantly more defended. And depending on my faction, that mech might do a lot more stuff too. Obviously, you can build some ships too, but you know, it's pretty rare for me in round one or two to build like a dreadnought using freelancers. But then late game, if you are just doing kind of random ex extra exploration, if you're doing scan link and stuff like that, it makes sense to plop out, you know, dreadnoughts or, I mean, I've never seen a flagship come out of freelancers, but you certainly could. You could, why not? <laughs> um, I, I I think uh, I think a dr uh, early dreadnought though, in if you've got the economy for it, um, then that would be a, a great build because it's a dreadnought on the front lines and we don't have to worry about Oh, we got to get grab drive right. so that we can move this dreadnought out of my home system. Totally. Yeah. Being able to move it to the equidistant is a uh, super choice. Yeah. Um, what is the next? What's the next cookie card? Uh, next up is a mercenary outfit, which is where you may place one infantry from your reinforcements on this planet. Uh, this is Ooh. super basic. Uh, it's, it's basically <laughs> you basically gained half a resource, right? You can build infantry, but it's similar to that um, orbital drop thing where it's like, well, putting an infantry on the front line is always a little bit worth it 
more so than having to have built it like way back at my space docks and then move them forward. So this is one where it's like, I don't hate it. I'm never like totally, it's, it is better than stuff we're going to see in the hazardous and uh, industrial deck. So if this is the worst the cultural deck has to offer us, I don't feel too bad about that. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I actually don't even know if this is the worst that the deck has to offer. I think you can make some arguments for yeah. some of the stuff we're going to talk about sure. in just a second. But um, yeah, I think the the real value in this is ha- having the infantry on the front lines, if that's even what what benefits you at, at this point. I, I, I It's chill. This is just yeah. like a chill, good one. This is right. the most this is the most obvious like cookie one to me because there's not even a choice to make. It's, yeah. it's not even like, oh, should I do this or should I not do this? It's just like, no, get an infantry. There you right. go. All right, bye-bye. And one other thing I'll note too, I'll point it out here because it's relevant and it's going to be extra relevant as we get into talking about attachments, but most of the legendary planets in the game are cultural. Malice yes. in the Wormhole Nexus, Mirage, the one you get from Frontier Tokens, and Primor are all cultural planets hope's end is the only non-cultural or the, yeah the only non-cultural planet legendary planet um which means both of these abilities being take and immediately defend well fall in line with that very well you know you get a legendary planet you immediately like are kind of desperate to defend it and this is a tool to allow you to immediately do that i mean if you take primor and you get mercenary outfits and you put an infantry down and then you use the primor ability to immediately put two more infantry down you invaded with an, one infantry at the start of this turn and now you have four infantry on primor it's pretty right it, it adds up and is very juicy um but these legendary planets are going to be maybe even more important as we get into the talk of the five attachments that are available in this deck Um, So attachments, we haven't really covered them yet. Attachments are a card that when you draw it, you immediately, exactly what it says, attach it to the planet card. It stays with that all game. It's never, if if you lose the planet, you lose the attachment with it. You basically tuck it underneath and let the little numbers on it show just on under the bottom side of the the planet card. Um, And so generally speaking, all attachments add some sort of resource or influence value on top of the baseline resources or influence for that planet uh some attachments add tech skips and some do a little bit extra thing so uh the best example first up is dyson sphere uh you attach it and your resource value is increased by two and your influence value is increased by one yeah um pretty cool i guess (laughs) (laughs) well it's what's nice here is that cultural planets as a rule, are a little bit more in like even between the two numbers. We're going to talk about hazardous sure. stuff later and how gross things get with attachments, but the cultural deck doesn't feel crazy. There's a lot of just like two ones or one twos in the cultural deck or just like a, a you know, a one zero, um, you know, Dalbufa, Exxon are all cultural. All these cultural planets are not um, four zero right or zero three mm-hmm. there's there's not very many um and and attachments sometimes can be can negate their own value by being put on the wrong planet but yeah, dyson sub-optimal. sphere is rare to do that because the two resources and one influence is going to help your numbers somewhere um across the board that's true it's always better when it when it's giving you at least uh not just one and one but like two and one kind yeah. of makes it a little bit um safer right um right. Yeah, I yeah, I would say from from the attach attachments this is one of the better ones. Um I want to skip ahead and talk about 
demilitarized zone yeah. next actually okay um which is kind of a card that's that's close to my heart and by that <laughs> i mean it kind of annoys me and i'm i'm kind of scared of it but uh, <laughs> return all structures on this planet to your reinforcements then return all ground for ground forces on this planet to the space area um attach units can't be committed to produced on or placed on this planet during agenda phase you can trade this planet uh, as part of a transaction so that is the text of demilitarized zone yep. um it's it's a pretty wild thing to get um it can be really awesome if you get it on like matt was saying because a lot of the legendary planets are cultural um the likelihood that you might be able to get this on a legendary planet which is also worth uh victory points in some situations uh is really crazy the fact that you could just be like i've got prime or nothing you can do about it which is actually a situation you had recently right matt yeah i st i was playing nasroka and i had malice i actually had malice, malice and prime or and i was i was fishing for demilitarized zone really on either but especially on malice since malice is, mm -hmm. has all the wormholes attached to it it becomes this like playground for battles and it's like man if i can put a demilitarized zone on there i just don't even have to think about it. there is nothing that overrides it so our old demilitar so if if you're noting a lot of these attachments used to be agendas that were attached yes. but then with any agenda it can always be repealed so demilitarized zone, there was always a chance that it would go away. This new exploration, currently we have no mechanic in the game that removes attachments from planets. Now we, I mean, we have a we have a mechanic that removes planets from the game. There's a relic, planets. Just, and there's there's a relic and a hero that just take out planets. But we have nothing that just pulls a thing from a planet. So demilitarized zone is game long. Um, so the reason hunters afraid of it is if you're doing scanlink stuff, if you're re-exploring throughout the game, if you've put a space dock on a juicy cultural planet and then you get demilitarized zone, you lose your space dock and all your infantry go into space. What's nice is you don't kill the infantry, they just return to space and you just keep the planet, but you would lose the space dock. And so if you were going for three space docks as a secret objective, you're in a lot of trouble. It hurts very, very badly. So there's this balance in searching through the cultural deck of like making sure you plan for demilitarized zone and then once demilitarized zone is on the table the cultural deck suddenly becomes much safer to just like re-explore your cultural planets over and over and over again to fish for stuff yeah it's a it's i th i feel like it's also kind of a counterbalance thing here because yeah. the cultural deck has the most fragments in it uh, and honestly a lot of the stuff we've covered thus far and a lot of the stuff we're, we're about to talk about it's all pretty good like mm -hmm. i don't want to get to the conclusion part too quickly but the cultural deck is pretty nice, except for the fact that this DMZ thing is in here. And of course, I don't want to come down too hard on this card because it's not like it's a bad thing if no. you get this on that first exploration. Sure, right. that's fine. But I don't want to have to kill my structures. And I had a game early on where I was playing as Cabal and I lost like a space dock and a PDS yeah. in a critical spot. It wasn't like, you know, w with a... With Cabal now, it feels like the way people play is you sort of make a line of space stocks. So you have like crazy movement off of the sort of grav rift aspect of each space stock. Yeah. And this was like the middle central one where I had all of my ships. Yeah. And it was, it it, it sucked. It, it was, it was not great. Um, and I, it made me regret getting a uh, scan link at all, which I feel like I do that every once in a while. Uh, we'll just regret having that tech. Um, but yeah, so I would say just just be mindful right. of DMZ. Right. It's not the worst thing in the world, but just be mindful that it exists and the that you might get it. The other benefit here is the, the fact that there is an objective that can be, it's a public objective, right, to control a certain amount of attachments. Um, yes. And I mean, so Demilitarized Zone is an attachment and also can't be taken from you. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's doing double duty. Um, 
and and if you get you know if it's a legendary planet too you you're literally like layering up the amount of points you're protecting by controlling that planet with a demilitarized zone so it is yeah. very good you just have to be mindful of it until it comes out so i you know th there was even a scenario i i didn't um i think dig into this but i was avoid i, I had a chance to put a space dock out um in a game where i had primor that same one we were talking about earlier i had primor and i put a space dock at home but it's because I knew I was going to be fishing between Primor and Malice to try to get this DMZ. I knew I wanted to protect both of these legendary planets in mm -hmm. my, basically in my slice. Um, and so until that DMZ came out, I'm not putting a space dock on Primor. It's a, that's right. a threat. I might just lose that space dock. It would, would, what a waste of time. It, it, I ended up getting it on Malice, but there was always a chance I was going to get it on Primor. So um, I was going Are back you saying that because of that YouTube comment we got where somebody sure. was trying to t call you out for... Yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna continue retroactively giving or plague against justification. DMZ. Yeah, um, um, let's get into some of the other. Hold uh, up, well, real, real, sure. real quick though. Before we move on from DMZ, I just want to say, do not forget about the part where you can trade it. It's like yeah. my favorite part of it, but nobody ever does it. Yeah, because it's kind of it's kind of weird that you. Why can do would that. you give up this like perfectly protected planet? Yeah, yeah. Also, I just wanted to brag. One time, I was playing as Titans, and I got DMZ, and Titans also gets an attachment out of their hero. So I had. I had one attachment in my home system, which good luck taking that, yeah. uh, fellas. Actually, uh, T.G. Welch took that from me one time because uh, <laughs> he's great. But uh, but yeah, having DMZ and an attachment in your Titan's home system is yeah. uh, a ridiculous level of uh, attachment point safety. Yeah. Okay, anyways, now we can move on. Um, so we talked about Dyson Sphere earlier. The other just kind of general stat booster is Paradise World, which is to increase this planet's influence value by two. Um, it's fine. Again, it would be cool if it had like one resource to influence. Increasing both is always nice. So the, the problem here is if it gets put on like a planet that is a two zero, now that planet is a two two and it just becomes mm -hmm. awkward to spend. Gaining stats is never a problem. I don't want to mislead people but it's just that sort of thing that you feel now it feels like a difficult decision every time you try to spend that planet whereas before it's like oh it's my two resources great i'm going to use it for that every single time and now you have to yeah. like walk around that um but yeah paradise world is fine it's better than a zero one right it's it, it's good um the other two attachments one isn't really an attachment let's get to that uh the gamma wormhole can pop up on a cultural planet um, and that's what get, grants you access to the wormhole nexus and thus malice. So mm -hmm. that's a juicy one. Um, the only other gamma wormhole we'll get to, it's in the frontier deck. So th this is one of your two opportunities to see a gamma wormhole if the ghosts of Creus aren't in the game. That's your only shot. Um, right. So exploring the culture deck has that benefit. Now that can be a downside too sometimes. Like if you, if you don't want to open up a pathway for other people to get to you, sometimes putting a gamma wormhole in the middle of your slice is pretty annoying because now anybody, now the wormhole nexus is open and anybody that goes to an alpha can then also get into your stuff. So the gamma wormhole is this, as with any wormhole, it's always hard to judge whether it's a good or bad thing. I mean, I think... I think if you have the the ability to get to Malice first, mm -hmm. that we can say that is a net positive. Definitely. Um, definitely in the early game. But I think I think it can become a negative in the mid and late game if it popped up in a place that's really inconvenient. I mean, I feel like if a gamma pops up in your slice, you sort of have to say like, all right, well, we're going to kind of defend this, yep. this wormhole. I can't just like completely just leave it open. It's like right in the middle of my slice or whatever. Yeah. Um, I would say it's most efficient when it pops up on like a forward dock anyways, yeah. where you're like, this is just where I was going to be staging my ships. So right. 
hopefully that's how it works out for you. But again, I feel like for me, the gamma always pops up in a place where I don't want it. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> where I'm like, I just, this is just obnoxious for it to be here. Yeah. Um, I also want to point out there is another gamma that we will talk about whenever we get to the frontier deck. However, this is the gamma that is going to pop up first almost yeah. every time. Yeah, the frontier deck gamma, you, you'll, you won't, you won't see that early enough for to beat the person that found it on the cultural deck. Exactly. I feel like that's yeah. generally how that happens. I agree. Uh, the last attachment is the Tomb of Amphidia. We talked about the Crown of Amphidia earlier. So the Tomb of Amphidia's attachment value is very basic. It's plus one influence. Sometimes this is nothing. If it was on a 2-0 planet, like we said earlier, it's now a 2-1. You're never using that influence. It's just kind of, oh, good, I get an extra vote, I guess, during the agenda phase. But the Tomb of Amphidia has a bonus value, which is... If the person holding the crown of Amphidia gains control of the tomb of Amphidia planet during the status phase, if they maintain control of it until the end of the status phase, they gain a victory point that they can never lose. It's not a hot potato point. It's one person is on a quest to get that one planet. Right. Um, so obviously this is true. You can't trade relics. So the person who gets the crown is the person who is on the quest and that's it. That's their little right. mini game that they get to play. But if you get the tomb and you don't get the crown, your little mini game is, uh Oh, I have to defend this <laughs> with everything I've got or else I'm handing a point to someone else. Or I guess you could make sure you get paid to give it to the person who gets a victory point out of it, but you better get paid a victory point or something equitable. Um, yeah. That's kind of an awkward. I feel like that's an awkward, uh, yeah. An, an awkward uh, trade, I yeah, guess. And the table Although will be mad Hakan, at you rightfully <laughs> for it. Yeah. Um, Hakan, I want to see Hakan trade the tomb of Nvidia yeah. with those mechs that I still have not seen Hakan. Right. I've not seen Hakan trade a single planet yet. Right. I want to see it like really bad. Or hilariously, um, if you were re-exploring planets over and over again and you got the DMZ on your tomb of Nvidia, like you double attach it. Oh, beautiful. And then you trade your tomb in the agenda phase to or what? I don't know. It gets so goofy. Let's talk about conclusions for this cultural deck thing. And I think the biggest thing I, I want to point out is kind of how much I think this deck sings. We already talked about the two cookie cards that you can get play in line with the idea that I want to quickly defend these planets because they're probably important planets. The DMZ lets you hold and defend that planet. Uh, you can get a victory point planet on there that you need to defend. Everything just like ties in together and it feels like this deck all serves a common goal yeah yeah i agree i think the only one that most commonly is can be kind of a like meh is uh paradise world or no not paradise world the tomb of amphidia to be honest is right. the one because most of the time the synergy of actually trying to get the because you can't trade for the crown right. Uh, the synergy of i'm going to be the person with the tomb and the crown it's more like if i find the tomb yep. I'm going to have an enemy and it just feels bad to find it now right. because you're like, Oh no. Uh, so at some <laughs> point somebody's going to have the crown and they're going to come and try and yeah. take this planet. So it forces you to play really defensive on a planet that maybe you didn't want to at all. Yep. Um, yep. I think sometimes also if the gamma wormhole doesn't get found early, mm -hmm. the gamma wormhole can be kind of crummy. Like let's say that somebody finds it in the frontier deck before you find it on a cultural planet. Uh, I would say that is kind of a lame situation because presumably somebody's already gotten to malice uh and therefore now it's just an open you, you didn't get malice so you you're just you, you, now you just have like an extra uh area you need to worry about yeah um and then of course dmz can sometimes be annoying 
But I think, yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you, Matt. I think the cultural deck is probably the best one. Yeah. But I also really like the next one we're going to sure. talk about. Just to, just to push that value, though, remember, we're talking about nine relics, a possible point, and two pretty good cookie cards. I mean, th this deck has, if you're going to consistently throughout the game re-explore planets, you are generally doing it in the cultural deck. Yeah, um, you're doing it I, on your I, cultural planets throughout the game. We're going to make a case for hazardous here in a second, but cultural is like the main one that everyone can safely re-explore all game long and get the stuff that they want or need to to do the objectives or to get the relics. Yes, yes, and I I think that is why DMZ is in there. Yeah. It's it's kind of Dane saying like this is the best deck. And if for some reason DMZ didn't come out early, now you have to kind of constantly be like, do I want this to be yeah. DMZ? Is right. that okay with me? Is it not okay? Right. Or so the vice I, versa I, of it is it's annoying that you have to constantly look at your cultural planets and go, I want to keep re-exploring, which means I'm just not allowed to put a space dock or a PDS on this planet until I find that right. DMZ. I, I, it, is a, it is a problem for me to put that stuff down. So I'm just waiting until that thing comes out and then I can play the rest of my game let's talk about our next deck next up is hazardous as we said before there were seven relic fragments which means in this deck we have 13 non-fragment cards uh and in this situation we have three cookie cards instead of just two uh so those those cookie cards are to start with volatile fuel source there are three of these there's three of each of these um with volatile fuel source uh the the rule with all hazardous planets is when you explore if you have a mech, you get the benefit for free. If you don't have a mech, you can kill the infantry that invaded the planet to get the benefit. Now, you still keep the planet. You, I think this is something that throws TI3 players off a lot because there were a lot of distant suns things that mm -hmm. killed the infantry and then you don't get the planet. That doesn't, you always get the planet. You, you, you don't explore until after you have already gained control of the planet and put it into your play area. That's the right. way to think about this. So don't be that afraid of hazardous planets killing your infantry. It's okay. It just means it's it's the opposite of our cultural free uh, mercenary outfit, right? We're not adding defenses. We are literally taking away our defenses on this hazardous planet if we want to gain the benefit. But to that end, he's made the benefits pretty juicy. Uh, volatile fuel source is if you have the mech or you kill the infantry, you immediately gain one command counter. And that especially in round one and two when you do the most exploration can completely unlock what like more things for you to do in round one it's it that can be a huge deal to get the command counter yeah yeah i i really like this one um and i also think that um the the kind of like oh do i kill the infantry or do i not kill the infantry is super easy on yeah. this one i think an infantry is literally always worth uh, a command counter you would have to come up with a pretty wild situation for me to be like oh an infantry isn't yeah. worth a command counter in that yeah. situation but yeah <laughs> but yeah no it 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 is it do it yeah. be uh next up is there's three core mining cards and it's the same deal a mech or kill an infantry to gain one trade good and this is where we go Ooh is the value what am i getting here now obviously from a pure value perspective one infantry being worth half a resource is that means a trade good is better value right obviously mm -hmm. but the the equation you're looking at is not what is the resource value of the two things it is how important is this infantry 
to remain on this planet. If it's round one, you have to think about what round two's expansion is going to look like, right? Oftentimes, yes. you have to, you move forward with a fleet and some infantry with the intent of that fleet moving again next round to go adjacent to Mechatol or into the to an equidistant or something. And so you have to really consider, is it worth it for me to kill this infantry for just a trade good that command counter that we got with volatile fuel source we might be able to work around losing that infantry and we can get something else to the front lines and and make the player in round two a trade good isn't going to to benefit us in the same way so this becomes you really have to do your uh, equation on the fly and, and work out the value of the two things yeah i think it really just comes down to like to make it even simpler than that i think it's just like what what faction did you start with? I think yeah. there are just some factions that can can take can lose an infantry mm -hmm. depending on how many they start with, and there are some that like that would really be a bother. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I would just consider that, and then also like consider you know sometimes when you let's say we're talking about you're going to the left or the right of your home system, and there's not another planet on the other side, then maybe just killing the infantry isn't that big of a deal because right. it wasn't going to go further anyways. Totally. So yeah, it's just it's just those little considerations. But yeah, I would say. Uh, in inf infantry for a trade good is probably going to be worth it about half the time and then yeah. the other half it's going to be like eh, I might as well just keep it this gets more interesting too in the late game if you are re-exploring and for some reason you're re-exploring hazardous planets now the general rule is going to be and we'll talk about it more later but if you're re-exploring hazardous planets it better be because you have a mech there because this equation doesn't exist if you have a mech right you just get a trade good and that that's awesome um, yeah, but for game long benefit too, if you are literally, if you're just trying to fish for one more trade good, because that's going to get you to, you know, 16 trade goods for the stage two public objective or whatever, or 10 trade goods, I should say, if it's going to get you the thing you need, like maybe you are fishing for it. And then obviously the equation is worth it. This is a funny little trade good generator that you have access to, but obviously you're rolling the dice between quite a lot of cards. If, even if the hazardous deck has completely reshuffled, there's nine cards, three volatile fuel sources, three core minings and three of the next one that we're going to talk about. So I, I'm not going to propose that fishing for trade goods in a hazardous planet is, is necessarily is good value. Yeah. <laughs> but again, for re-exploration with a mech on the planet throughout the game, this is, this is juicy. This is going to be always good for you. Yeah, uh, last yeah. up is the expedition card, which is the same thing. But this time, instead of gaining a thing, you get to immediately ready the planet. And this one uh, is just awkward. <laughs> it, it can yeah. be great. It can be like a huge deal or it can be just like completely the wrong timing for this to have happened. And I'm not going to readying the planet literally does nothing for me because I was going to pass next turn or whatever. Like th this one can be right. just so um, pointless, um, especially round one. Honestly, if it doesn't time out right round one and people are playing strategy cards like to to hurt the table, expedition might literally be a nothing burger. Well, it works better on the we when we were um, prepping this episode, Matt, we were talking about like what the themes are as far as like uh the hazardous yeah. cultural and industrial planets right. as far as like how are the resources and influences um distributed and you said something that was interesting uh was which is that you were just saying the hazardous planets are just the most extreme ones they yeah. either have a lot of resources or a lot of influence yeah so the bummer here is that if expedition comes up on one of those influence hazardous planets um, the idea that the person with leadership like stalled leadership mm -hmm. or like waited to play it, I almost feel like that never happens. Right. 
So if it's an influence one, well, that's basically bunk and you're not going to get anything off of that. Right. Um, if, if it's a resource one, then cool, fine. Yeah. Um, but we've kind of eliminated half of the hazardous planets even just with that. So. Right. Right. Yeah, it's it's there are definitely there's a little bit more than half that are resource rich. Um, mm -hmm. So hopefully more often you get this on one of those and, you know, warfare probably is getting stalled out. So hopefully you actually are going to get, you know, getting getting a biz flipped for three more resources. That rules that unequivocally like changes your game that expedition for like a faction like extra can mean a flagship round one. You know what I mean? There yeah. are lots of things that can happen with Expedition that are very good, and it is uniquely because it is in the Hazardous deck. If this were industrial or cultural, we wouldn't... Uh, Expedition would always feel a little kind of pathetic because it's like, what, okay, I refreshed a, like a 2-1, but like sometimes you are getting quite a lot of value out of your Expedition. I almost feel like sometimes, is there a point to Warfare stalling anymore? Because in POK, <laughs> right. in round one, everybody, they find stuff that they need, they get money together, yeah. it's like... It's like if you stall, it almost feels like you're allowing people to get the most out of this warfare build when if you played it earlier, you could be like, oh, look, uh, everybody's only got so much money to work with and they're worried about tech, too. So maybe we should just do this now and get some right. plastic. Like, Yeah, if anything, I find myself more often trying to do my own exploration as fast as possible so that I'm getting draws before other people take the good stuff right so like yeah. in round one i'm moving everything forward and then next turn warfaring that token immediately so that i can start spreading it's like i i need as few turns of not exploring as possible so that i can try to get juicy cards yeah yeah that's it's it's interesting to to think about because i feel like the dynamics of round one uh, have definitely shifted in a way to where i question the logic of warfare stalling unless you can do it like crazy good like i don't know like stall to a ridiculous extent but right. um so let's get into our attachments then um we have a handful of attachments here first up is lazax survivors and this increases the planet's value by one resource and two influence so this is the opposite of our cultural one and uh thank goodness for that because as we said before hazardous is where we run into the situation of our planet is a three zero if we gain a menial amount of influence on a three zero it's kind of a big pain in the butt because we're never going to mm -hmm. actually utilize that influence but getting one resource and two influence means we're always getting at least boosted by one the, the planet value of this is always good if this hits mir uh yeah mir like aranam mir it, mir is now worth as much as mechatol rex it's a one six so this can be yeah. crazy good mayhar zul becomes a two five right you can get a lot out of this but if it hits abyss at least abyss is now a four two you're not using that influence really but you got something out of it yeah actually i think that i think the card title is actually a reference to the idea that mir would become mechatol rex now yeah. that i now that yeah. i look at it it's called <laughs> lazax survivors right so if it ends up on this wood planet, it becomes Dubekatol Rex. <laughs> That's what we're going to call it now. That's Dubekatol Rex. <laughs> Mirkatol. I like uh, that. So it's, uh, the, the good thing about this one is it's just it's never a waste, um, whereas the other ones we're about to get into can actually have wasted value. Uh, let's look That's at true. Rich World as an attachment. Increase the planet's value by one resource. If this hits Mir... Mirror is a 1-4. We're still using the 4 influence every single time. This attachment didn't do anything except for serve as an attachment that could be worth a point, maybe, if that objective comes up. Yeah. However, though, it was just you saying that a little over half of them are more resource-focused. Yes. So it... Yeah, I don't know. It's... it's it's also just one, though, so it's hard to get excited about. But if, it's, if this is on the right planet, uh, we take, you know, uh, whichever... 
Freya or whichever one is three zero yeah. uh, into a four zero, which if we have a space dock on it, then that's that's a pretty cool. That's right. nice. It's, it's nice it's that it's the attachment nice stuff boost the production value of the planet. So now Abyss being a four zero can produce six units. And our next one, it's it's funny that there's rich world increased by one resource and then the next one is mining world and it's two resources so in the in the twilight imperium universe mining being a miner is better than being rich it's more it's well, worth more you can teach a man to mine or you can give a man a dollar <laughs> <laughs> well i think it's confusing because uh mining world that sort of like tells a little story like i know yeah. why the planet's value has been increased <laughs> right. if you just say it's rich i don't know why it's why is it rich <laughs> it could be that the rich world is rich because of mining like it could, they're both mining worlds it's just they were described differently that could be it's, it. it's like the greenland iceland problem like mining world got the name first and the other one's like well i wanted to okay well <laughs> I guess we're rich world. I don't know, man. Even, even though we're less, yeah. even though rich world is less than mining world. That, that That's funny. Um, but yeah, so increase planets resource value by two. Uh, again, it's like it's like the same. It's like the same story. It, it's just better. Um, Abyss with production capacity of seven is like completely insane. Yeah. Like that would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very good. Last up is our warfare research facility. And this is to give a planet a red technology specialty. And the rule with all technology specialty attachments is if the planet already has a technology specialty, it instead is a 1-1. One, one. So if you're looking at Mehar Zul or you're looking at Mir or any of the new uh, hazardous planets that gain tech specialties, I forget if there are any or what they are. Uh, but regardless, those will become a 1-1. One, one. So that at least you get that like it turns mirror into a one five or whatever but obviously yeah. more often you really wish you would get the tech skip but what's interesting here is as we've already talked about hazardous planets are very volatile in terms of whether or not they grant you resources or influence which means it is very rare that you put a tech skip on a planet that makes it a cheap easy to use tech skip right we still fall into that same problem now the problem has been slightly fixed from base game in base game the only two red skips were not only on hazardous planets but on influence rich hazardous planets so the equation was always is this worth a command counter to spend this skip but now right. we at least have we have the option of psychoarchaeology where we don't even spend it in which case now this is awesome this rules or if we don't have psychoarch it still might go on something like abyss with three resources and now i have to decide if i'm going to burn three resources on a tech skip and that's still just as difficult of an equation as it's ever been yeah yeah i would say if you if you got to use it straight up i mean there there are some new planets yeah. that it would wouldn't be that like the the wriggles if you get it on sure. like wriggle one or yeah. uh astroth is two zero i don't really like that um yeah. Yeah, actually, Riggle, it's pretty rare. Riggle 1. <laughs> yeah, if you get it on Riggle 1, good on you. Everything else is going to hurt a little bit. Or again, if you have Psychoarchaeology, this is always good. This this rules every single time you get it. You're one step closer to War Sons, baby. Uh, yeah. But it, I would say it's, it is funny to me that... Uh, the theme <laughs> held true in this category because we haven't gotten to industrial deck, but we are about to, but all of the other tech skips are in industrial. So hazardous planets have red tech skips. That is just across the board true. Uh, and at the very least, there's a decent chance that this red skip is actually going to be a red skip because there really just aren't that many percentage wise per capita of hazardous planets. Most of them don't have tech skips, which is not going to hold as true uh, in industrial planets. So, um, I don't know. How do we feel about the hazardous deck? I guess 
mechs is the big thing. If you're getting mechs out on hazardous plants, these rule. All of these free benefits and pretty good attachments across the board and a, you know, it's a it's a Goldilocks. It's the it's the middle amount of uh, relics. So hazardous plants are generally good to explore and especially if you just let a mech live on a hazardous planet and that becomes the planet you re-explore all game, you, you get quite a lot of value because you're not having to lose infantry uh, as you get those uh, cookie cards. Yeah, I think there's a lot of good synergy between um, the attachments and the available planets uh, that would create situations where you get one of these attachments on the right planet yeah. and you, and it really um, kind of makes your game in yeah. a way that I don't feel like can really happen with the other with the other decks. Yeah. Um, just the potential, the fact that there's two. Oh wait, there's more than two. There's like there's like a couple planets where um, if 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 you there's like Atlas, there's uh Barrig, there's Abyss, uh, where if you get the right one of those resource things, it can yep. become like the best staging area in the game, basically. Right. Best forward dock spot you could ever have. Yeah. And I really like the potential of that. And also at the same time, you have these, you know, kind of mega um command counter planets, like uh not even just Mir, like Archon Archon Vale uh is yep. a one three, like You've you've got a lot of options as far even uh, uh Lerta four is a two, uh, like a two three yep. uh so you've got a lot of you've got a lot of planets where if the right one of these attachments falls on it that planet will just become like a super super great mega planet um that of course is the atten- intention of these attachments anyways um but I feel like hazardous is where it shines the most and yep. and the fact that that one of these planets could kind of swing into being strategically very important to you makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, so I, I like this deck. I do th- still think that cultural is best overall, but hazardous is pretty good. Cultural is only best overall because it leads to more raw points potential, right? That's yes. that's the big thing there is there's, there's two relics that can be worth points. And so we can fish for relic fragments and we can fish for the Tomb of Amphidia. There's lots of points potential. There's a lot of attachments. There's all kinds of stuff in there. Hazardous is really good to explore for just raw potential in general. For your yeah. economy, Hazardous serves you very, very, very well. And then there's Industrial. <laughs> <laughs> and we are not impressed with the Industrial Exploration deck. Uh, it's only five fragments, which, as we said, isn't even enough for two relics. So what are our other 15 cards? Uh, in this situation, there's still only three cookie cards, but this time there's four of each. So even more odds of getting any of these uh, cookie cards. First up is functioning base. The general rule with uh, industrial cookie cards is the idea that you can either gain some amount of commodities or you can spend commodities or trade goods to get the benefit from the thing. But obviously the big thing that happens with industrial plants is like the first industrial planet you explore is basically never worth anything it's it is going to be worth getting one commodity right that's all it can ever be unless you somehow if you if you took trade basically there's like an argument to pop trade first have the commodities then go start exploring your industrial plants but then there's an argument that you're going to make more off of just trading than what any of these things will will net you let's take a look let's see what we can actually get so with functioning base, we either gain a commodity or we spend one trade good or commodity for an action card. Uh, now, the action card is our action card deck is huge now, and I think it's very, very hard to judge like what the value is. I think generally speaking, 
one trade good is probably going to be worth an action card. That seems a fair bet. Um, and what's especially juicy is the idea that with industrial cards, you can specifically spend commodities, right? That's This is like the only yes. time you can spend a commodity for value. So you don't have to try to flip it on somebody else's sheet. You don't need to get washed. There's no funny business there except for the funny business of having to have gotten the commodity in the first place. Yeah, I think if I'm playing a, a poorer faction, though, if I'm playing Sardak Nor, I may be passed on this, to be honest. Right. Like, there, there are a lot of... Uh, there are a lot of action cards, and I feel like playing roulette, if I am essentially um, playing a game where I need to figure out my early game kind of quickly, and uh, I have a, you know, kind of economic considerations, I maybe would pass on this, to be honest, yeah. which is kind of annoying, because it, it is an action card, and I do want it. It's just like, you're this is going to come up in the early game, and uh, yeah, I mean, actually, to be honest, most of the time when this comes up, you just get a commodity anyways. Right. So That's the big I problem guess with who, any who, industrial card. The... Uh, the the only good thing about the industrial deck is the second industrial planet you explore is always better than the first one. But this yes. is what makes the double industrial systems, you know, Arnor lore, um, at Cohen Jail Ear, all these systems where there are two industrial planets, those become yeah. kind of nice to explore because at least you can explore the first one and basically get nothing. But then the second one, you definitely get something. What always stinks is the first one you get functioning base, and then the second one you get like an industrial relic shard. And you're like, no, I wanted to use my commodity right now, not just right. like sit here with my, you know, hands on my under my butt let's talk about abandoned warehouses four of these it is a little bit different than functioning base instead you may gain two commodities or you may convert two of your commodities into trade goods um this one is very weird uh i i think it's i, I can't i can't decide if it's better than functioning base i like action cards i like the the potential value but there is a very weird value judgment with abandoned warehouses that I didn't even think of, Hunter. As we were writing this, you kind of came up with this. We, we were having a debate about how does X minus one meta feed into this? Just as a quick summary, X minus one meta is the idea that like the player who takes trade offers X minus one to essentially all other players. So it's, I will offer you your commodity value in trade goods minus one. So if you're Joel Nar, I will give you three trade goods for your four commodities. And that has become kind of just the standard equitable trade that people mm -hmm. do. And in an X minus one meta, the idea of gaining two commodities outside of a trade window gets weird because trade is so kind of formulaic and people just sort of go through the motions easy enough and it becomes difficult to judge like how valuable is it for me to gain my two commodities or how valuable is, is it for me to not have to interact with trading and turn my two commodities into trade goods by myself yeah it's just it's interesting because um there are other cards that basically let you turn one commodity into a trade good but if you give me two commodities the only way that i turn those into trade goods is by probably giving one to someone else so right. it kind of just like works out to be to me kind of the same thing the interaction uh, that of course i think makes the most sense for this is if if you let's say you are exploring one of those double industrial planet systems and you get two commodities okay well now you can you have an extra commodity left yeah. over after you did the trade on the other thing right. i don't know yeah. yeah the 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 other difficulty here with assessing this card is at least with gaining two commodities you gained theoretical value, right? I gained two commodities yeah. that I can go trade yeah. with somebody else. I might be able to just wash those two commodities for two trade goods on somebody. That that might be possible. I don't know. I don't know what your meta looks like. Sometimes so a lot of metas don't do X minus one and do X for X, right? You give me two, I give you two. Let's do that. Um, 
so this situation of the idea that I just want to flip my two commodities into two trade goods, I, I'm not actually gaining any value. Those two commodities could have turned into two trade goods. Anyways, I am maybe better off gaining two commodities every single time, as long as I have the space in my commodities, right? I can never exceed. If, I, if I'm Jolnar and I already have three commodities on my sheet and I get this card, I can only gain one commodity because I cannot go up to five total commodities. Yeah. But okay. I can get my fourth commodity or whatever. But the idea of having to turn commodities into trade goods is not actually gained value. It is just converting the value I technically already have on my sheet. Yeah. Also, it kind of just becomes awkward because with all these like random commodities hanging out, uh, I find people often just have to like figure out what to do with it. And I've noticed this kind of new meta kind of springing up, I think, to to alleviate this, which is um, that when people get random commodities from the industrial deck, uh, I've noticed other people will just wash them for you. They'll right. just let you flip them over. Like, hey, That's let's crazy. just do a, a one for one or a two for two so you can flip those over. Just as like kind of, I think the idea is like it's a, a goodwill meta thing. Yeah. Like if I do this to random people in my games, then they'll do it to me right. so that I don't have to go through the the kind of weird rigmarole of like, okay, trade hasn't popped yet, but I have two commodities here. I'm going to lose value if trade pops and then they refresh me before. Yeah. So I need to like find something to do with these two commodities like right now, yeah. you know, before this happens. So I think it's just like that kind of stuff annoys me a right. little bit trying to like figure out my way around like a random commodity yeah. on my sheet needs to go away. Right. Well, and that's, that is why none of these abilities are very impressive is because at least in our meta, this could, this is, this might, for this, this might fall on deaf ears for some metas, for some people in their groups, because um, for us, we're talking about a, a scenario where when trade pops, our tables are generally pretty open with trade. And so yeah. the idea of like needing commodities for anything is a little bit like, no, this actually just becomes like a nuisance. Now, if, if you play with people where it's like Hakan gets it and Hakan trades with one person and that's it. Maybe these have a little bit more value to you because it's like, man, this is my only shot to get some commodities. But even then, it's like it's still commodities. You you haven't technically gained anything <laughs> with these so far. I mean, you, you, you've gained the potential to gain stuff um, and yeah. the timing of it still sucks. Because if this if this was your first one, if this was your first industrial planet you explore, you're just gaining the two commodities because you have nothing to convert yet. And then yeah. trade pops next action. I'm Mentac. I only have two commodities. Now I can't be refreshed. Now it's like uh, everything's just messy and awkward. And and I, I don't think we have fallen into a situation yet where we think these are big benefits. Let's talk about the last one before we kind of wrap up these cookie cards. It's local fabricators. You may gain one commodity or you may spend one trade good or commodity to place one mech from your reinforcements on this planet. This is the good yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. This is a good one. But I wanted to point out this one's obviously the best one of the cookie cards, right? However, what keeps happening to me yeah. is the first, the first industrial exploration will be this card. So if I don't have any commodities or trade goods, then all I get is a commodity and it just taunts me yeah. with the idea that I could have gotten so like an early mech on a on a planet and it's just kind of a bummer. So, yeah. but yeah, it, it is good. I mean, of course, it's worth it. You're right. Yeah, it's th this is this is not the same trade-off as our infantry for a trade good in the hazardous deck. One commodity? Especially one trade good for one mech, that's pretty good. One commodity for one mech, that rules. That is my theoretical value that has now turned into very, very good forward base potential uh, yeah. value. It's, it, it is unquestionably the best of these three cards.
Yeah, it's such a it's a crazy good deal actually if you think about it. It sounds like so like innocuous or whatever, but but the fact that you know uh, mechs are worth two or whatever, mm -hmm. um, and it now it's deployed on, like you have positional value as well that you have to bake in. So it's a half price mech that is already yeah. off your home system and out in the world uh, doing its thing, and especially considering the effects of like some of these mechs. Um, where they are positioned is pretty important. So ha yeah. being able to just throw one out there, like Empyrean mech, that you basically use it as a sabotage, but it has to be like adjacent to another player's ships in order to do that. Uh, the Nomad mech allows you to move the Memoria essentially to wherever, right. wherever you have mech. So position is really important with a lot of these mech units. So yeah, this is this is actually kind of a deal that I feel like people are... I mean, everyone gets that this is a good deal, but this is a really good deal. <laughs> really, really like, good deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, outside of those, we only have three attachments in the industrial deck, and they are all essentially the same, which is cybernetic research facility, biotic research facility, and propulsion research facility. These are our three tech skips, our blue, our yellow, and our green. Um, and they operate the same way as the red tech skip did, which is if it already hits a tech skip planet, it is instead a 1-1. One, one. It's a, a bonus to resource and influence. And what sucks here is a lot of the industrial planets already have tech skips. They that That's like the theme of industrial planets is that they have tech skips, which means you have really good, uh, you have a f basically close to 45% chance of one of these cards already hitting a planet with, a tech skip on it which means then you're just getting the plus one plus one and you would obviously right. much rather have the tech skip so so often these things come out and don't do the benefit you want them to give you yeah yeah i it it's also a problem of um i don't know why to me to me i feel like industrial decks should be the best when it comes to attachments mm -hmm. like there was something in my head that made me think that but in, the industrial deck actually has the lowest amount of attachments in yep. in the deck. It only has three here. Um, Hazardous has four, and Cultural has four. Um, so in attachments five, are right? Or did I miscount? Oh, does it? Yeah, it does. It has five. One, two, three, four. Well, no, you're right. Four attachments on the gamma. You're right. So four and four, and yeah. then three here. Yep, you're totally right. Yeah. So I mean, the the thing is, it's like attachments are are important when it comes to to um. Points. victory points yeah. yeah so so essentially industrial it just feels like they kind of lag behind in all of the metrics that we could evaluate right. the exploration decks they they had the least amount of fragments mm -hmm. um the cookie cards aren't that good and there's a lot of them so you're gonna run into i mean they're like we didn't really like functioning base and i don't really like abandoned warehouses that much <laughs> and that's eight of the 20 cards yeah. like yeah. that's a lot a lot of the cards i don't really care for that much so i would say in general industrial is to me a distant third yes. between the, the right. three of them yeah especially from a re-exploring standpoint um you know that that round one you watch all the industrial planets get explored and you see if the three research facilities hit and then if they did or even if they didn't you can kind of look at the deck and be like i think i'm I think I'm done because there's just nothing to fish for. There's you, you have bad odds of getting a relic fragment. You have really bad odds of getting a useful attachment. And you have very, very way too good of odds of getting pretty useless abilities that, depending on the timing, may literally be useless, may gain you nothing at all. Yeah, the the I guess I, I don't know if I did the math here correctly, but I, I wrote that 
you you will get the plus one one forty five percent of the time if you get one of these attachments on an industrial. Like I think it's 40, just shy of that because it's it's nine out of twenty one planets, not twenty. Oh, okay, so it's it's like just it's just under forty. It's like forty whatever. I don't I don't care about the math, but it's it's right around forty five percent because it's nine out of twenty one industrial planets have uh have those tech specs already so not yeah. good odds um yeah. so yeah i don't don't like it i don't like re-exploring it throughout the game i'm always better served re-exploring a cultural or a hazardous planet unless i'm like just literally desperate to try to see one of those tech facilities those research facilities hit a planet but I, that that's a that's a tall order to get those three out of 20 you're <laughs> you are in desperate odds if you're just trying to get one of those to hit one of your planets at that point yeah i do think um that I really like that we did this analysis, honestly, because it has made me realize that essentially if I am playing as Titans, if I'm playing as a faction that has that is maybe thinking about getting scan link, if I've got, you know, a majority industrial planets in my slice, I'm going to rethink that. Like yeah. that's that's probably uh, not a great idea. I would say the only value here really is local fabricators in the early game. Remember, eventually, most most factions, you get all your mechs out there, and then right. local, local fabricators isn't going to mean anything. Um, and then the three attachments, but really just purely for um, the point value, yeah. not even necessarily because I need these skips so bad. There's a lot of skips already out there, so yeah. I don't know. I want to yeah. give one extra at least reason to be looking for these is there are public objectives where you need tech skips right and, and if you don't see mm -hmm. a way to get the, the the big thing is it's generally easier to go find them elsewhere right? i can just go attack someone's planet and get their tech skip but if you're just desperate to get it in your own slice and get that third tech specialty on a planet yeah. then yeah okay i guess sit there and if you're nasroka and, and exploration comes cheaply and easily for you go for it but like i would not go out of like hunter was just saying i would not go out of my way to research scan link just to start re-exploring industrial planets if that was like yeah. kind of all i had in my slide that that is a horrible investment to make in your game right and and remember the reason i brought up titans and scanlink is because uh you only get to explore one planet yeah. with scanlink in a given system so you need to choose and i would say to me now that i've analyzed it this way i actually feel like i'm probably not going to choose industrial planets if Never. there's another option in that system yeah. so all right, so that's all of our planet exploration. Let's talk a little bit about that frontier deck, uh, which you know I, I have come to find actually a little bit underwhelming. I don't know if it's more underwhelming than the industrial deck, but we addressed. No, it that isn't. There were, it isn't. There, there are three mysterious relic fragments and fourteen cards total, so we have eleven non-fragment cards and what do those sorts of things look like well we have a few cookies we have a, a decent amount of cookies actually in, in this deck first up is two merchant station cards you may replenish your commodities or convert your commodities to trade goods this is just straight up and well for some factions this is the same as our abandoned <laughs> warehouses for any two commodity factions right. this is the exact same as abandoned warehouses but for any other faction this gets actually kind of juicy this is i wish abandoned warehouses was just this ability right to, to be able to uh convert my commodities for for someone like hakan merchant stations uh rules <laughs> this is very very good yeah. um uh but the timing is always going to be a thing and timing is especially tricky because frontier tokens you have to like very deliberately go out and explore them right you have to play the action card or you have to activate a system move a ship in and then do the thing so you have to think about 
centering that timing also around trade is like, no, I'm not going to, that's not going to be a consideration for me in most rounds of the game. I'm going to just do it when I have the right opportunity to do it. And if I get merchant stations, then okay, maybe I'll kind of work around that. But generally speaking, I would say this is worse than everything else we're about to, to look at. I want to push back on something that I'm sensing real quick. This is the, <laughs> you're not going to hear me push back on, on Magi math style. I, not that Magi would even say this, um, but I, so the so the frontier stuff is a little bit we're saying it's underwhelming because we're factoring in that there is an investment yes, here. That's true. This is this costs you one command counter from your strategy. This costs you four resources, and, and, and then you research DET, and then you had to spend another command counter yeah. to move the ship to each empty space. I'm gonna the only pushback I have on this is that there is a very hard to measure positional value yeah. to having ships in empty systems totally. that is really hard to factor in here uh it is not a given for me that it is simply well you have to spend uh two command counters for resources to even get one of these i to me it, that's not the same thing uh because you're getting a ship now in an empty space which is almost always useful guys yeah um, what's gonna be tricky yeah. later is obviously our goal with a lot of these DECs, or at least what we see pretty often is fighter twos or destroyers going out to this. Yes. Right? Minimal investment. I don't want to send a whole fleet into one of these areas just for it to no, like, of park not. there. I, I want to use my fleets to take planets and stuff. Um, and we're going to get to a reason why that becomes annoying. But just keep that in the back of your mind of generally we're sending gum into these systems. to And, and gum has a value. Gum has a value of protecting our other systems. Um, next up is derelict, uh, derelict vessel, which is to draw a secret objective. If I'm yeah. researching dark energy tat in the late late game, this is probably why. <laughs> I because I I something is messed up. I had to skip an uh, an imperial secondary somewhere in the game, and I just desperately need secret objectives. To me, this is the best thing I can get out of uh, this deck, unless like you're really trying to get fragments as well, right? Yeah. To to be honest, uh, it the way this deck works is as we go down and get away from the cookie stuff, uh, it actually gets a little bit less obvious as to like how these things are going to help yeah. you. So the cookie stuff is actually better. And what's a better cookie than a secret objective? Right. I mean, I would say this is the best cookie card in any of the decks yeah. and kind I, of redeems the deck in I, general. I, a I little agree. Bit. It, it's funny how much it turns that value proposition on its head and makes it like, I mean, it's two out of 14, but I will roll those dice to try to get a secret objective, especially well, also, if you're like the only person at the table with DET, right? If you're the only one exploring Dark Energy Tap, you will probably come across this eventually. Right. Or actually, it, this has made me think more about uh, reconsidering like, oh, should I research DET after someone else does? Right. Let's 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 say this, like count the cards. Yeah. If somebody else researched DET and they've, you know, let's say they've gotten two frontier tokens out of, out of the bag and neither of them were derelict vessel, well now it's 2 out of 12. That's a that's a lot slightly right. better odds. Right. Uh, it can get even better if you're willing to kind of keep an eye on it. So just try and um I would say that if you're going to count any deck and yeah. keep track of what has been um like, you know, what's been discarded from it it should be the frontier deck because there's two secret objectives yeah. in there and guess what y'all that's how you win that's yeah how you and win it's the incredibly game. rare for this deck to get reshuffled i mean basically it's yeah. only in an imperian game that that might happen and even then probably not yeah. uh next up is lost crew there's two of these and this is to draw two action cards uh that's fine <laughs> sure yeah Good, good, sure. good, good enough. Good enough for me. Uh, to act. Obviously, this can be awkward if you're like sitting at your hand limit or whatever. But 
whatever. You, you cycled some bad cards out, got some good cards, maybe. It's it's fine. Uh, then the last one is Enigmatic Device. This is an interesting one. You place this card in your play area. It just sits there until you decide to use this action. Action spend six resources and then purge this card to research one technology. So you can get some extra tech outside of technology windows or like agendas or anything like that. That's nice, but I find the... Uh, cost really prohibitive. Um, I have I have gotten this in multiple games somewhat early and had difficulty finding the right round when I really want to spend six mm -hmm. resources to do this. When I'm like, mm, do is it this tech. or is it plastic? Because I think probably plastic is more important than just like getting fleet logistics right this second. Yeah. Um, I think this is a really cool card for base game. Like I could see <laughs> yeah. how in base game it would have been totally worth it yeah. to get because there are so many base game games that came down to the tech objectives. So the idea that getting one extra tech outside of yeah. your limited amount of tech you get access to uh, would be a huge deal. But now we're kind of living in a post like tech emphasis world uh, this doesn't, I would say, feel quite so essential. But if you're rich, whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, like if you've got the money, meh. Right. Yeah. Um, so then last up, we have three. I'm going to they're not attachments because there's no planets to attach them card uh, to. But these are our three other things that we can get from this frontier. Other things. Things, things that hit the board. And this is where. I run into trouble with the Frontier deck because what the Frontier deck becomes is some minimal to really good benefits or some game changers, which like from a group that's playing Twilight Imperium once a year, this is awesome. This is fun. It's shaking up the table. But the problem here is these next three abilities don't inherently gain you anything. Uh, mm -hmm. They just put weird stuff on the board that could actually be negatives and that's what we're going to be assessing for these next three things the first one up is the most in theory good but also the biggest crutch sometimes which is that you can discover mirage you can discover a cultural planet that is also a legendary planet uh, and the legendary ability of that planet is that it lets you uh, put fighters anywhere where you have like capacity or the ability to hold fighters um, so in theory this is awesome oh my gosh i just gained a legendary planet but the problem is, when we explored this, we did it with, like, a destroyer or whatever, right? We yeah. did it with, like, not very much fleet, probably. And when we gained Mirage, it gave us the planet card, but we didn't invade Mirage, which means Mirage is currently completely undefended. It's empty. <laughs> so, in a, in, the worst case scenario for you is you already had the Shard of the Throne Relic, and the Shard of the Throne Relic... Oh, my God. You lose that Relic when you lose a legendary planet. So, if you suddenly discover mirage while you're while you're holding the shard you just put an incredibly easy target on the table for someone else to go get sure and and that is like probably the worst scenario you could come up with but here's one that i would say feels more more likely to happen yeah uh one time i was playing a sardak and my neighbor was empyrene and they were trying to explore as you do and they explored mirage and it was the equidistant to me right and I and I had already unlocked my commander and I was just like and I hadn't even I hadn't even already activated those ground forces next to it. So they they found it. They got to have it for one turn and they did they did flip it. So they got the two fighters out of it. And then I was just like, OK, that's mine now. And then I took it and there was no way Empyrean was going to take that away from me. So the fact that 
in order to explore the frontier tokens, you kind of have to like spread your ships out and go to weird places, mm -hmm. especially if you're kind of chasing them means that whenever you explore Mirage, the likelihood that it isn't going to be where you want it to be almost makes me feel like if, if, if you don't um, get Mirage out of the frontier tokens, like right next to your slice, you should maybe just be like, eh, I don't want to risk it. I'm yeah. just not even going to bother. Right. So I don't know. Yeah, the, this I, I I literally see Mirage as a reason not to explore Frontier tokens, especially as you start cycling a little the bit. deck down. It's like I do not want to have this thing to, to look after. It's like just being handed a child that isn't yours, and it's like oh, take care of this suddenly. It's like I didn't sign up for this at all. I just wanted a secret objective, man. I didn't want like a whole legendary planet to have to do. So it makes what are the stats on Mirage? I can't uh, even not remember. very much too. And and let's talk too for a moment. I mean, we're gonna talk more about legendary abilities in a later episode but it is worth noting that this is the worst legendary ability too the idea that i'm just going to put two fighters somewhere where i have to already have capacity like i can't already be filled up with fighters everything else inherently defends my planets or gives me trade goods and this one just kind of stinks like it's just not very good <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think i am generally annoyed to get this because it's like not even an ability i was looking for you know right uh, mirage right. is a one two Ugh. one resource two influence so it's like it's almost worth a command counter it's it's just really awkward to get um now in the situation where you re you you find this late in the round some other people have passed and then it's worth a point because you needed a legendary play or something okay cool but like more often than not it becomes literally a liability for you yeah i think it, i think if it had like a really cool like if it wasn't just two fighters if it was something else or like if malice and mirage as far as the ability goes um i think it would be more worth it but the fact that you're maybe only going to get two fighters out of it and then accidentally give someone a legendary planet that yep. they can use to score points with that might be that's that is that is very risky especially if those objectives are already out you maybe yep. shouldn't even go for it right uh, next up is the Gamma Relay card, which is, as we talked about earlier with the Cultural deck, this is our other Gamma Wormhole. And notably, because this is in a planetless system, this is what we kind of call the worst wormhole, right? That you you don't mm -hmm. have an inherent way to defend this, which also makes its value questionable. However, it's not immediately putting a planet that someone else can easily take on the board, and it's giving right. you access to the Wormhole Nexus and thus Malice. So... I like it more than Mirage, but it still has a lot of those same equations of like, wait, did this hurt me actually? Did putting this Gamma Wormhole here make things more difficult for my game? Did I just open up a pathway for people to get into my home system or something? Like what, what, depending on where this ends up, it can be a drawback for you, but it can be a pretty big benefit. Uh, but like we talked about earlier too, someone else probably got to Malice first. Yeah. And and I in theory defended it pretty well. Not always, but this is usually the second gamma wormhole to hit the table and it means trying to get malice is like a difficult thing to pull off. All right. Well, speaking of stuff that might be good or bad or maybe <laughs> is bad, what's the next one? Ion Storm is the weirdest new thing in the game. Super weird. <laughs> hardest thing to track. Hardest thing to keep track of. Ion Storms and TI3 were also like the weirdest thing in the game that was like, wait, what do Ion Storms do? And Dane got rid of those and completely changed Ion Storm and like rethemed it, but still made it a very confusing thing to deal with, yeah. which I think yeah. is thematically the right thing to do. Anyways, here's what the Ion Storm does. You place the Ion Storm token in the system with either side up. The token itself has an alpha beta, an alpha wormhole on one side and a beta wormhole on the other side. And as you discover it, you get to choose which one is face up 
first. But then you place this card, the Ion Storm card, in the play area. At the end, uh, at the move, ships, or retreat step of a tactical action in which one or more of your ships use the Ion Storm wormhole. That means actually go <laughs> through it, right? Go from one alpha to another alpha. You then flip the token. You close the door on the way out. <laughs> And turn it into the beta side. And then when someone goes through the beta wormhole or comes through a beta wormhole into the ion storm, you flip it back to alpha. And it just keeps doing that all game long, which makes it this completely unpredictable. I mean, it's, it is predictable in when it will do it, but it becomes this unpredictable thing you have to deal with in your game. Because at any moment, it's going to connect you to different parts of the map and other players can influence that at like a moment's notice if they really, really want to. So if they want to prevent you from getting to their Lodor that has the Tomb of Infidia on it, all they have to do is send a ship through and waste a battle on you. And then they flip it to a beta and oops, you can't get to Lodor anymore. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's I, I think it's a bummer when I find it. I don't, I don't feel excited when I find it. Uh it also works on retreats. I don't know if you just mentioned that, but nope. it also works on retreats. Yeah, so, so, so if you do a silly. fight in the Ion Storm itself or in a different wormhole that then you then retreat through it as your retreat, which is mm -hmm. already kind of weird because like a standard retreat has to have ships there. But if you're the person with dark energy tap, that means you can kind of do extra retreating. It all gets really stupid and messy. And this, I, I think this is even more to sell our idea we set up with this, which is these cards are fun value. They're goofy, but I wish that something like Ion Storm came with like, put the Ion Storm here and gain yourself four trade goods or something. <laughs> like, get, yeah. here's something to take something the, the load off because what you gained is nothing as a player. Right. You got nothing for this card. You put some dumb little thing on the table and that's it. You put fun factor down, but you didn't get anything economically for yourself. Just for you, yeah. Yeah, it would be cool if you got a little something. Uh, you know what's what doesn't trigger the Ion Storm, but is movement, is uh, Benediction, yeah. which is uh, uh, hashtag Benediction breaks the game. Yeah, breaks the whole hashtag stupid that. board game. Benediction is Mahawk's hero where you move one fleet into another fleet. No, you don't whatever. move them, Matt. Yeah, well, That's you, the whole thing. Well, you they don't they don't move. You do move them, but you, it's not an active system. That's what breaks the game. Is the idea no. that it's not an active system? No, you place. No, no, what no. Do we you have do? to be very careful. You, we have to be very careful with how we describe it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you move them like in the physical space, sure. Like in the real life, you're moving the ships, <laughs> but not according to the rules. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, so, like you with your hand, you move the ships yes. from one hex to another. I think I understand. But yeah, do you get it? I don't get it. Yeah, Benediction is a broken ability that I think someday we will be forced to do an entire episode about. <laughs> Just the logic of Benediction, but I guess what that's what we the run into, episode will be. We ran, we ran into something recently that was like new for Benediction that I forgot. I forgot even how it got ruled. Like what we ruled it wrong in the Nomad and Nasroka game that just went up on the YouTube recently. So someone can go through that game and find out when Benediction gets played and whatever we did. I think it had to do with it was Nebula. You aren't allowed to Benediction into a Nebula. At least rules as written right now, you can't do that. You can't move into a Nebula with Benediction. Uh, Why? Shut up. <laughs> shut up. Don't ask <laughs> questions. You you heathen. I think Benediction has such weird rules that I need to go back to basics and I need someone to describe me 
thematically yeah, what's happening. what is happening <laughs> when they when they use it because I'm really confused as to what even takes place. Right. What am I supposed to be feeling when benediction happens besides <laughs> just pure confusion? Uh what what do we think of the frontier deck? I I think I made it pretty clear that I don't I don't actually I'm beginning to not find dark energy tap to be an, a good investment at all. I think all this does is it gives Empyrean some really weird stuff to do, but the fact that Empyrean gets this thing that it doesn't even always equal a benefit just sort of is uh is is telling of how we're gonna feel about empyrean when we eventually do the guide uh yeah. i just don't think it's very i don't think it's that good there are some big highs and there's a lot of lows uh in in this deck yeah i mean so derelict vessels plus the fragments makes up about 35 percent of the deck mm -hmm. and i would call everything else in it not like so it's like you either get a secret objective or you get the it's best type tag. of relic fragment yeah. you could get. Uh, and then that's that's kind of it. I right. kind of question the value after that. Um, so it and 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 the the fact that Mirage can be catas mm. catastrophic or not catastrophic, but it can just be Rough. it can be bad. Yeah. Um, Gamma relay is kind of I don't know, maybe. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I I think it's not great. I don't think if you were to just compare the decks raw 1v1 mm -hmm. i still think it's better than industrial yeah but but it, it i guess it's hard because you have to invest unless you're empyrean you have to invest in the frontier tokens right. so i i maybe i kind of question that investment now uh now that i'm looking at it like this which i i really like that we did this this actually really helped just my thinking in yeah. general it's it's about. been helping me too because I'm specifically working on Nasroka and I'm doing lots and lots and lots of exploration as I you know as I work on that one. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm seeing that stuff play out a lot more obviously. You know, as it, it it became very apparent that there's like no reason for me to do my NRA thing on anything but cultural planets throughout the game. That's that's like my biggest takeaway is if I'm doing lots of exploration, it is specifically cultural planets because I'm trying to get. The good stuff, because nothing else. Everything else is just too much of a dice roll that I get anything that's actually worth much to me. Um, obviously, the hazardous planets continue to have their sort of benefit. I think initially, my first thought with POK was, well, if I can get a mech down, I'm super stoked to re-explore hazardous planets all the time because it's just like free right. value. But technically speaking, cultural planets are all free value. <laughs> you know, I mean, you have to yeah, spend the resources for the build you do off of freelancers, but you're still getting stuff on the front lines. The the only problem with something like uh with freelancers we didn't talk about really and i don't know why i'm backtracking this far to this but like a lot of times the big re-exploration you do is with scanlink and it's like on systems you have space docks on right sure so that's what makes freelancers kind of like a bunk nothing card because it's like hey guess what i was building here anyways but the idea that i can use influence is kind of juicy except for the fact that freelancers happens if you're doing scanlink uh, what it happens at the start of activation? So you were planning to build. So it's yeah. not. I don't know. It's minimal value at best um, at, at, in the end of the game and everything. So, but but my biggest takeaway is definitely cultural great, hazardous pretty good, and especially if I'm trying to like boost economy and stuff. If I'm just looking for some value, mm -hmm. great. Don't really want to touch frontier deck. Don't really want to touch uh, the the industrial deck pretty much at all. Yeah, I I will say. I, I used to be of the opinion if someone else gets DET, then I'm not going to get it. Yeah. Um, but now I'm kind of the opinion of if someone else gets DET 
and they fish out some of the bad stuff, yeah. then maybe I get DET right. and try and get some of the good stuff. <laughs> like, like that's kind of more the way I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody, if somebody got DET and then they did like four, four things and they found like the lost crew cards and then like Mirage and the Gamma, yeah. then that means like, I'm probably going to get a derelict vessel yeah. or at least a fragment, you yeah. know, like right. that's probably going to happen at that point. Yeah. So I, I, I like those odds a lot better, but yeah, I think, I think we're coming away from this feeling like cultural and hazardous are the, the top tier. Yeah. Uh, also, I wanted to say something about what you just said about NRA is I think when it comes to NRA, they just need to be mindful of where the fragments are because they get so much utility out of fragments yeah. anyways. So I would say once you get into the mid game, who cares like about any of the stuff on any of the cards? It's yeah. just like, oh, have have they not found any of the industrial fragments? All right, I'm gonna go fish those out yeah. real quick. I feel yeah. like that's their real their real strength. The, it know? is the real strength. The other thing with NRA though, too, generally speaking, is if you're like using Garvin Gun to explore and stuff. At least what I found is I'm I'm parking a mech in a system. This is generally how you do exploration throughout the game is you've parked a mech there and then you're using your different exploration tools to do that. Because like with ScanLink, you can't even move your stuff in. So like I need to already have the mech there to get benefits of exploring hazardous plants, right? And if I'm doing ScanLink on Nasroka, I have to already have the mech there to double explore, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to park my mechs on cultural planets long before I'm going to park a mech on an industrial planet. And those just... That doubles the value of my investment of trying to re-explore cultural planets over and over again. And I found myself just doing that almost entirely because to park a mech on an industrial planet to try to fish out the last of the two relic fragments that didn't get drawn or whatever, it's Mm -hmm. just like, I don't think it's worth fishing through all the crap in that deck to find it. Right. Yeah, I agree. Also, I just realized, because I'm looking at all the NRA component stuff, I'm realizing that the cat with like the little guy on the back that that's that they're all different cats and little guys on the back. Uh-huh. That's like their whole deal. Like they they're do. all like, it's a whole planet full of Buddy large buddies. cat people with little babies on the back. <laughs> I thought it was just the same guy three times, no, man. but I'm realizing that they're different people. Like <laughs> that's I love so crazy. This happen live. What a good, what a good moment we all just had. I just figured that out. I was like, oh, it's like one guy that like is a cat with the dude on his back. But now it's funny thinking about them like, you know, at church. I, yeah, I want to see those meet <laughs> at church. They have to have the weirdest pews of like little extra buddies. I got my backpack, friend. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd, I'd imagine they take them off indoors or something, you know, like no, they put them all up in little always cubbies. affixed to their back at all times. <laughs> That's I want funny. to thank our weird bears, Fargonest, TG Welch, Brian, Botbot, Kaluin, Squeamishimu, Sonaletto, Mate Nason, John, RYs, Absol, Pon Shidori. And I want to thank our little peace turtles, Naderade, Patience is a Virtue, Polyphrona, Requiem, Gaskio, Uncle Baddy, Dark Jutsu, Astoria, Brave Sir Robin, Frank G, Carnal, my son is also named Bort, CAC Jr., Anvilier, Samley, and Alice. <sighs> All right. Um, new Galactic Council poll and New Galactic Council way we do things for mm. at least a little bit. We're trying something new. Yeah. So, um, We've been getting uh, we've been getting uh, complaints, negative ne- negative feedback about uh, Galactic Council in general, and we're kind of thinking like, okay, well, what's something we could do? I, I think people have this feeling of like POK is out, and they want us to hit Everything. all of those POK elements really quickly, and and we definitely felt like we had too much on our plates to do it right when the game launched. We still have too much on our plates to be honest, but um, I think I came up with something 
that might be a little bit of a compromise um, in order to get those people that stuff they they want. Because the, here's the thing: we we already did this once before. the The game came out. We started a podcast, and honestly, we said a lot of stuff. We shot from the hip a lot, yep. and now there's a bunch of like very hot takes that you can listen to at the beginning of this episode that or this uh, <laughs> this podcast. episode. Yeah, I've already changed my mind. <laughs> uh, at the beginning of this whole show um that are just there forever now and i don't stand by a lot of that stuff so we wanted to be more considered yeah what with the expansion coming out which means that we have to go slower however i came up with a way to kind of speed it up a little bit so for next month the galactic council episode is actually going to be a bonus episode don't get too excited though um <laughs> which means that we're gonna have four kind of main course space cats peace turtles episodes where we're just doing deep dive stuff we still have one more root guide so it's not all it's not all, all ti okay yeah but but you'll get you'll get an extra pok episode this next month uh, actually technically you'll get two extra pok episodes because the galactic council options are all pok sure. but um but for the galactic council episode itself um, it's j these are just like discussion topic options mm -hmm. that me and Matt can just free jazz. Yes. These are not episodes that we would prep that would have like scripts associated with them. This these are more like what's just ideas yep. that we have, um, real just kind of talky whatever thing. So here's your Galactic Council options. This will be a bonus episode. Hopefully it'll be shorter than a normal episode, and it'll come out towards the end of um, March. Yep. Uh, so. The first option is, is Arborex still the worst faction? See, it's just a discussion thing. Who even knows? I don't know. Was Arborex even originally? Is is still the wrong word in that sense? I don't know. We, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Arborex in a non-faction introduction sense, right? A non-prepped, yeah. we haven't played, Hunter played one game as Arborex in a game that I don't know if it even counts because it was homebrew objectives. It was like a different kind of beast. Um we we haven't prepped Arborek yet, but we'll talk theoretically because I think we have sort of made the call that like we think Arborek is probably the worst and we've seen pushback and I see valid criticisms of that mm -hmm. argument and I think we just want to see where that conversation goes. Possibly. Yeah, uh, I, I am not settled as for where I think yeah. uh, that is, to be honest. I but, agree. So the next option is, um, is Cabal, in quotes, too much? Um are they just too much, yeah. too good, is too it, is whatever? It too, is too... it a pain in the butt for this board game to have a faction like the Vool Wraith Cabal? Did did we break yeah. something by allowing their did structure we break, into yeah. this? We made this game. Yeah. This is our game. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next option is tournament predictions. Uh, we'll just talk about the upcoming tournament. We'll make predictions as far as what types of players we think are going to do well. What, yeah, what, yeah. yeah, what sort of yeah. plays do we think we'll see? Just whatever. Like, well, I mean, honestly, if this one gets picked, we'll kind of, we'll probably pull the discord for like just some talking points of, of things they would like to hear us talk about with with being at the start of this year what will be a long tournament we're we're in it for a while folks so let's let's see what if we can make some calls call some shots yeah and then your last option is uh ti lore 2 where we just talk about some lore again i want to um, do this one because i didn't get to do the last one and i i would love that's to, true to di i would love an excuse to dig it we we did the book and that got me actually a little bit thirsty for lore as i said uh last week i would honestly like to kind of start doing a little mini lore series in the feed of some kind uh and i would love to sit down and reread all the faction sheets and kind of get all that fresh on my brain that'd be fun yeah so those those are your first round options for the poll for march you can choose uh as many of those 
as you like and then i will do a second poll with the top two like always um here's your your twitch and youtube well your youtube is uh there's a homebrew game in the can that will be coming out uh this week where we we played with uh homebrew objectives and they actually weren't that silly they were pretty awesome to be honest um and then for the Twitch uh, this week, me and Matt are going to play uh, Twilight Imperium on Friday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, I don't think there's anything else. I mean, I've been playing Crusader Kings 3, and I might stream <laughs> start doing me. I, I might stream me making a custom guy Family. that is you, Matt. Oh, boy. And then I play as you, oh, and I no. give you like your your traits and stuff like i've already decided you're gonna be wrathful you're gonna be like a like a king that a fighty king that if 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 you insult him he comes down hard on you i love that you talk about ck3 as if it is the sims because it just reminds me of that time i played the sims where i was living with our friend sean and our friend paul who you all will have seen on uh the holiday spectacular and and sean is infamous kind of in our in our Mm -hmm. in space cats lore uh, and Sean and I were roommates for a lot of years, and we were we were deep enemies because of that long-standing roommate relationship. Mm-hmm. And I decided to play The Sims, where I made the three of us in our own place. And the characteristics I gave Sean caused him to light my computer on fire and burn my room down. <laughs> and it just really, I think that was the peak of the toxic level of our relationship, where we had to step away from each other for a few months just to, like, rebuild. Uh, so I like the idea of you doing that to me as a medieval version of myself that... Uh, reveals some hard truths about myself maybe in a virtual uh, emulation i'll give you good i'm gonna give you good traits too like it's not gonna just be bad traits it's not i'm not gonna be trolling you i'm just i've decided your bad trait will be wrath sure like that 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 aspect of it oh also i forgot to mention but uh for homebrewers guild uh for march let's do relics so post your custom homebrew relics weird i think this one should get really really weird um yeah and and hunter will you do you throw out the other relics when you do that like it'll be none of the base 10 relics new dumb relics throw spaghetti at the wall only new relics that's uh, yeah that's how i like to do it i I go homebrew only and i do it one component at a time and then eventually we'll do like an all-stars all homebrew uh wackadoodle crazy game when you do that game i want to get in on it and i call dibs on nazroka oh hey you can also like this podcast by giving us uh some five star ratings on itunes or apple (laughs) Podcasts. we would love that that'd be super great if you did that you want to do that do that right now leave us leave us a rating about there's this thing on apple Podcasts where you could give five star ratings that's what it's called it's just called give a five it's star just rate. called rate at five stars yep. they, they actually don't have any other options it's just five stars yep. that's the only and thing and when you do you. it leave a comment that just says i was con- con- contractually obligated to do this five stars thanks for the show uh also you can find more information about our patreon our twitter our discord uh at spacecatspeaceturtles.com the show has been growing a lot the tournament is about to kick off uh the patreon is doing more work than ever because hunter is full-time i have gone part-time with the show we would love to push that even further i would love to actively encourage you to take part in the patreon if this show is something you listen to weekly and if you watch a lot of our streams and our videos uh it would help us out in a huge way uh we see a big spike uh in signups for patreon when we do the tournament signups and and that's good and wonderful for us and then we see a dip in in march because people signed up for the tournament and they got their tournament sign up and they're done and and i just want to encourage you to maybe 
keep that Patreon going because uh, we're still here and we're doing the tournament for like five months and, and we would just love to uh, do that content comfortably. So consider consider contributing. And again, you can find information about that at spacecatspeaceturtles.com. Yeah. Um, also, we have merch. We have I always forget to say that. We have merchandise. Yeah. I have a coffee mug. <laughs> yeah. I haven't bought any of our merch. I feel bad. Is that bad? Oh, that yeah. No, you... anything? at all no you need to you need you need to buy i mean I'm, every time you show up to out. my house i mean it's been quarantine so this hasn't happened in, in a long time but there was like one moment where you showed up in our sweater and it made me feel uncomfortable <laughs> to why see. i don't know do bands feel this way when like a band member wears the band's shirt to like brunch that feels weird <laughs> i don't i i don't care i because i <laughs> Because here's the thing, I've I've already been doing that with other shows that I was on. Like when I was on Dumb and Busted, yeah, I would wear Dumb and Busted time. shirts. Um, but I think it's more like an opportunity for me to promote the show to people that don't know what it is. Because I don't know if you guys know this, but the thing that me and Matt love back in the before times when we would actually see random people is when they would be like, "So what is this podcast you do? Like, what can you tell me about it?" And it would just be like at a coffee shop and they're just like some normal person <laughs> and i'm just like oh. um so okay uh Let can me... i not tell you about it and instead <laughs> just tell you i'm a huge dweeb like i'm the <laughs> biggest dweeb in the world <laughs> Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>